Today is a big day, as the earth quakes beneath our feet. Oh yes, the underworld is coming to Roto-Grinders. But that's not the earth-shattering announcement that I want to talk about today. And no, the addition of Roto-Underworld content to Roto-Grinders does not signal the end of the Mind of Mansion show. I mean, is that a joke? We're getting these tweets and emails. Does this mean the Roto-Underworld radio program is over? Of course not. What are you talking about? Just more content. Would you like more? We'll give you more. You're welcome. And those Roto-Grinders shows are free to stream live. More free content. But it doesn't have to be free. Oh, no. We give you the opportunity to return value back to the creator, me, patreon.com forward slash podfather, and we're launching listener leagues. Pop, 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 pop. I just launched four listener leagues yesterday for patrons only. You're welcome. But the earth-shaking announcement that I want to share with you today has nothing to do with Roto Underworld or our draft kit. Fantasy-draftkit.com. Get it now before your draft. Or the playerprofiler.com platform. No, the announcement comes from ESPN's Mike Clay. He writes on Twitter, Okay, today is a huge day. I created a new stat and it has arrived. Oh, but the anticipation continues to build. First, there was a dot, then OTD. Today, I give you OFP, Opportunity Adjusted Fantasy Points. One stat that shows a player's expected fantasy point total based only on opportunity. Uh, who wants to tell him? Why is no one raising their hand? Does no one want to break the unfortunate news to Mike Clay that that's not a new stat and that whatever he, in quotes, created already exists? Across a lot of platforms, it exists. It's now fairly ubiquitous, expected fantasy points. It's all over four for four. It's all over Pro Football Focus even. Scott Barrett from Pro Football Focus has been writing about expected fantasy points for years. And one of the metrics we'll be adding to Player Profiler was first introduced by Scott Barrett, weighted opportunity. And that's all Player Profiler is. It's just a collection of predictive or interesting advanced stats and metrics that were introduced by members of the community. And our goal is to assemble them all like Voltron to provide fantasy gamers with one-stop shopping when browsing player profiles. That's what we are, player profiler. And we stand on the shoulders of giants. The fantasy douche, Sean Siegel, Graham Barfield, Rich Rebar, Josh Hermsmeyer, even Bill Barnwell who first introduced the concept of speed score a decade ago. So whether it's college dominator, breakout age, agility score, target premium, yards created, and soon weighted opportunities, the service that we provide the community is a singular point of entry, one authoritative source to access the key advanced stats and metrics on NFL players. And the beauty is you can go to data analysis and from the data analysis tool, we give you the full menu. We give you every metric on the site and you can select any one of them and sort by year. And it shows who was number one in target premium last year and who finished last. You can go back to 2016, go back to 2015. 
and cherry pick any particular metric and see the full list of players sorted from best to worst or worst to best. And I know you're saying, well, the data analysis tool, that's, that's more money, man. Yeah, I get it. You probably have the draft kit at this point and you're considering upgrading. Well, when you add data analysis, you also get our dynasty rankings and our weekly rankings with weekly projections and our DFS lineup genius, which provides optimal lineups for FanDuel and DraftKings cash games and GPP contests. So it's well worth the extra $45 to upgrade and get this. We balance out the cost by giving all all-in package subscribers a free roll in a Fantasy Football Players Championship Best Ball League. You get free access to a $35 Best Ball League for $45. So let me get this straight. $45 gets me a $35 Best Ball League and the data analysis package and the rankings and DFS lineup genius. What more can I do? We could invent new metrics like Mike Clay thinks he's doing, and we are. At the beginning of the season, you'll notice 20 plus new metrics added to the site. We're going to be tracking passing target accuracy. We'll be calibrating yards per carry, discounting long runs. That'll be called true yards per carry. There's an article up on playerprofiler.com by Zach Kruger, which lays out the logic behind this metric. And because a lot more of the fantasy production is generated from the slot, we're rolling out a handful of additional slot-specific metrics to give you a more granular window into fantasy production from the slot. You're welcome. What we won't be doing, though, is claiming to have created a brand new metric that already exists! Expected fantasy points? Really? I mean, uh... One of the least self-aware tweets I've read in years to claim in 2018 the invention of a metric that has existed for years. When we launched playerprofiler.com in 2014, our signature efficiency metric is production premium, and it has continued to be. Production premium surfaces a player's per-opportunity efficiency above or below expectation by comparing that player's performance on any given target or carry to all other players receiving opportunities in similar game situations with a similar field position. It's a situation agnostic efficiency metric, looking at every given down and distance for which a player is given an opportunity to score fantasy points and showing their output above or below expectation. It is a highly sophisticated metric, but in 2014, that concept already existed. Numberfire launched an analytic with a similar goal called net expected points a year prior. Now, production premium goes a step further by discounting outlier late game scenarios like garbage time or clock killing. So if you're a running back taking a handoff at the end of a game in an obvious running situation, it won't negatively impact your production premium as much as a failed run in the middle of the game. We were proud of the sophistication and the hard work it took to create that metric. It took days to develop. But at no point did we announce on Twitter, we've created a brand new metric that's going to change the world. Fantasy points above or below expectation. <laughs> that was four years ago. The difference is we came into this game knowing we're standing on the shoulders of giants and knowing that no one owns player stats. Claiming ownership of a stat is lame. 
Think about all the Roto Underworld shows you've experienced over the years. Please identify for me the show in which we claimed to have created a groundbreaking new statistic where we took ownership of a new metric. Find the show, find the tweet. I challenge you. That is my challenge to you, the audience. Email me, rotounderworld at gmail.com. If you find such a claim on our timeline, in our show archives, good luck. And we're player fucking profiler. So the idea that Mike Clay is out here standing on top of his house, shouting to the world, waving flags, new metric over here, changing the game, one metric at a time. When his colleague at Pro Football Focus, Scott Barrett, has been writing about expected fantasy points for years. If you're Scott Barrett, you have to slap your forehead and just throw all your papers in the air. I would. That's how I would react. Mike Clay claiming to have invented expected fantasy points based on opportunity would be like someone from the R&D team, you know, wearing a lab coat, bursting into a conference room with the CEO standing at the head of the table in 2018. Everyone, please, I need your attention. We have a breakthrough in the R&D department. First, there was the pocket organizer. Then, the palm pilot. But today, I give you my greatest invention yet. I call it the iPhone. That's right. This will change how people interface with the digital world. How we connect to the internet. How we share information. This is truly groundbreaking. Yes, that's right. I call it the iPhone. Who wants to tell him? As it turns out, a writer for Player Profiler named John Miller shared the following with Mike Clay. Player Profiler has a stat called expected fantasy points. Is it similar to that? Because that's right. When you go to the data analysis tool, you can select fantasy point differential, where we've just simplified it and showed you the fantasy points per game scored by a player above or below their opportunity-based expected fantasy points from the previous season. It's the fastest, easiest way to identify players that exceeded efficiency expectations last season and are at risk for a regression this season. I mean, how do you think we call so many of these efficiency regression candidates year in and year out? We posted on player pages next to the fantasy points per game, we put plus or minus their expected fantasy points. And then we do the math for you in the data analysis tool with fantasy point differential. But Mike Clay doesn't use playerprofiler.com, so he wouldn't know this. And this is the danger. Waving around, I created a brand new way of looking at the world. I created a new concept. That's a bold, dangerous claim. And I will simply never make it because I know I have not scoured the earth for every available metric. That would boldly lack self-awareness to do such a thing. Because I'm sure the metrics are different. No one saying OT, HD, OD isn't unique. I'm sure it's unique. We have unique stats on playerprofiler.com. That's not a bold assertion. Claiming to have originated a concept is bold. So we roll out metrics, and if they're helpful, great. And if they were originated by a particular fantasy writer in the past, we will assign them 100% of the credit in our terms glossary. We talked about this recently with Graham Barfield. It's very simple. And Mike Clay responded to John Miller with the following, and this is just perfect. Don't know, but I can't imagine it's going this deep. I mean, I know it's not the same. OTD 
is an internal stat, for example. I mean, OTD is an ESPN-only stat that we do not share with the world, Mr. Miller. They cannot possibly be the same. And either way, I don't know about this other stat, so I'm not even worried about it. Did you see my announcement that I invented? Weighted opportunity-based expected fantasy points. This is a big deal for me. Celebrate me. You'll also notice that when playerprofiler.com rolls out new metrics, as we do every year, it's to no fanfare. One tweet on social media listing the new metrics, a link to the terms glossary to learn more about them, and we're moving on to the next project. Innovation under the cover of darkness, because that's just what you've come to expect from us. When we roll out new metrics at playerprofiler.com, it's not breaking news, it's just expected. And we talked about those FFPC best ball leagues. The deadline is this Sunday, August 26th. That's your last chance to get the all-in package that includes a free $35 best ball league entry. Let's say that you can't possibly justify paying $85 for a fantasy football resource. I get it. I get it. And maybe you've tried the MFL 10 platform. Maybe you've tried the draft platform and you have yet to be inspired. Well, you need to go to real-time fantasy sports. I play on the RT Sports fantasy platform, and I love it. And I have friends whose home leagues are hosted on the RT Sports platform, and they love it. But the RT Sports people came to me and said, we need to get the word out. People love our platform, but it's not the first platform that comes to mind when people think about playing fantasy football. And I said, well, don't worry. We'll change that on the Underworld program. And they went ahead and created a special URL just for you, rtsports.com forward slash underworld. And there you can find season-long draft master formats, no in-season moves, no need to set your lineup, and you can join for as little as $20. Then if you want to qualify for a big prize pool, you can jump in one of their tournaments. So in that way, it's the best of both worlds, that you can play for just 20 bucks, knowing that thousands of dollars are at stake. And one of the reasons why this platform is so enjoyable is because of the mobile experience. They just rolled out a brand new mobile app for live drafting and live scoring. And that's the best. When you have a great mobile site hosted by a provider that's been around for decades, is one of the most trusted fantasy platforms in the business. Once again, RT Sports providing you with the best of both worlds, rtsports.com forward slash underworld. And my guest today delivers the best of both worlds in that John Paulson has been a top-ranked fantasy analyst on Fantasy Pros, arguably the best ranker of fantasy players in fantasy football history, both for seasonal leagues and weekly rankings. That's what impresses me most about John Paulson, that he's not only on the leaderboard for seasonal rankings, which is a whole different science, he's also always near the top among those doing weekly projections. So I want to talk to him about his process. Be sure to follow him at 444 underscore John on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program, a show favorite. One of the best in the business. <laughs> it's John Paulson from 444. He's now the director of forecasting. Why? Because his rankings are, over the last five years, the best in the business. So, John Paulson, talk to me. How's it going, Matt? Should I call you Matt or Podfather or what do you like to be called? Podfather's great. I love Podfather. This nickname is sticking, John. It's exciting when a good nickname sticks. I'm happy to be here. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm excited about talking about the Bills. 
Well, that's who we like to talk about on the show. People ask, why do you always talk about bad teams on your show? And my response is because the good teams aren't that interesting. We'll talk about the Packers today because you're a Packers fan and you're from Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, we tend to talk about the bad teams because that's where some value is. And that's where there's typically more intrigue because there's more player turnover because they're bad. What about the Bills? You drafting any Bills this year? Any Bills whatsoever? One Bill on any fantasy teams? I was sort of, uh, I was sort of excited about uh, Lashawn McCoy's value in the third round before this whole situation has developed with the uh, the break in and taking of jewelry and uh, his ex girlfriend and all that. So I moved him down. I don't feel confident he's going to play a full season. There's enough red flags with the offense. Uh, his age, workload, all that, that uh, I'm sort of letting other people draft him and, and getting my running backs elsewhere. Charles Clay is a pretty good value, I guess, if you're looking for a second, third tight end. I guess. that's For me, that's about it. Um, I, I don't have a whole lot of confidence. Uh, I guess if, if Josh Allen looks continues to look good in the in the preseason, maybe – Maybe you draft Kelvin Benjamin if he slips in your draft past whatever round. He's slipping in all drafts. I mean, he's slipping into the double-digit rounds, and there you have to draft Kelvin Benjamin based on volume alone because we typically fade efficiency and buy opportunity, and Kelvin Benjamin's getting the opportunity in Buffalo. But Corey Coleman's there now, so finally there's some quality target competition if there's any player on this bills team that i'm drafting it's Corey coleman in the last couple rounds that's about it what about the jaguars you drafting any jaguars yeah i think the jaguars have more interesting players than the bills do the offense isn't bad that's important yeah most people believe the jaguars offense is abysmal it's no it's not not bad and it's going to be better this season because they will be forced to throw the ball more because there's no way the defense can repeat last season's dominance yeah they the defense was so good last year put Bortles in good spots and he had his worst fantasy finish in the, of the last three years that's right Blake Bortles once upon a time was a top five quarterback John do you remember I do remember but he was I, it's hard to believe, but it happened in 2015. But even last year, when the defense played as well as it did, Fournette went off in the running game. He was 13th uh, in quarterback scoring. So I don't mind him at all. He's going in the 20s. Uh, so I like him a lot in two quarterback leagues, super flex leagues. We like the damaged brand players. And Blake Bortles has yeah. the most damaged brand of any player in the NFL at this point. I like the damaged brand. That's good. That makes him a buy. Kelvin Benjamin, Blake Bortles. You can get the all-damaged brand team. But I'm still not drafting LaShawn McCoy. You know, that brand is... That's damaged. Too tarnished for me right now. Maybe in the fourth round, LaShawn McCoy. He becomes a player you have to draft based on volume projection alone. But otherwise, I agree with you. Something smells with LaShawn McCoy, and I'm not in the mood this year to hold my nose and draft that player. But what about the wide receiver core in Jacksonville? That's hard to decode, but there feels like there's some value there if you can figure it out. Yeah, I was just going to ask you what you thought of it. it there have been re positive reports about every player in that's, camp, which is makes it that much tougher. Well, except Dante Moncrief. Dante Moncrief's not happening, John. I mean, you can adjust your rankings and projections accordingly, but... Breaking news from the Podfather himself. Uh, Dante Moncrief's not going to happen. 
Yeah, I never was real high on him, other than the fact that they gave him a lot of money and might force him into a role. But it seems like he's fourth. Marquise Lee, he might be fifth, Moncrief. He could be the fifth receiver if he can't surpass DJ Chark. It's crazy. Uh, I do like Lee, PPR formats. Pretty consistent role. Thank you. When he's been active. Thank you for saying that. You're the first analyst to come on this program and admit to ever drafting Marquise Lee. Oh, I think. Because no one wants to draft Marquise Lee. He's the most flaccid wide receiver in fantasy football. If any wide receiver would never give you an erection in a draft, it's Marquise Lee. But Marquise Lee, like Kelvin Benjamin, is technically, 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 John, he's the number one option in this receiving core. And that player always has value at some point in a draft. Yeah, and he's had a consistent role when healthy. So, you know, PPR, like him, he doesn't score, catch a lot of touchdowns. So I think standard, he's, you know, a little bit uh, less less value there. Keelan Cole looks like he's second. This is big. Now, that's big, dude. That's big. A lot of snaps in the preseason with uh, the starters. This is a big deal because he actually delivered splash plays last year. Mm-hmm. And then DD coming in third, you know, obviously the great preseason last year. He was very involved when he came back from his injury uh, late last year into the playoffs. So he looks like he's the third uh, option there. So definitely some value. Cole, especially, I mean, Lee, you know, well, 12th, 10th, 12th round, somewhere in there. Cole and Westbrook, I think you can get pretty late. Boom. Boom. I would stack those two. If you're drafting late round wide receivers and all the players left are backups anyway, stack who could be the number two option in Jacksonville. And it might be a 1A, 1B situation with Marquise Lee because Marquise Lee isn't this established alpha dog. Agreed. He's not uh, He's not Allen Robinson type. So, yeah, I mean, this could be a very fluid situation in terms of targets this season. Yeah, Didi Westbrook just wasn't efficient. The difference between Westbrook and Keelan Cole, and I think that's carried over into training camp and preseason, is that Keelan Cole was by far and away the more dominant and efficient receiver, just more productive with the targets he was granted last year. And Keelan Cole's the perfect example of a very small school receiver from Kentucky Wesleyan who was dominant at a small school getting an opportunity and seizing it. It's just that it usually happens later. It's not typical that the undrafted free agent gets an opportunity as a rookie, but Allen Robinson tears his ACL. Marquise Lee is hurt. Allen Hearns is hurt. They have to dig deep on the depth chart, take a guy off the taxi squad, throw him in there, and all he does is score touchdowns. So yeah, as it turns out, they hit on an undrafted wide receiver, which is hard to do. So congratulations to the Jaguars. And if the passing game is better and the defense can't possibly repeat last season's dominance, does that mean Leonard Fournette is being overdrafted? Eh, I think he's okay in that early second round. I'm, I'm not ending up with much of him. I, I guess I have a little bit of a concern with the foot. And as you mentioned, the maybe the change in game flow for this team. That's uh, right. So I, I'm not ending up with a lot of Fournette. Yeah. TJ Yeldon will get carries. And the team has expressed interest in featuring Corey Grant as much as possible. And we know what that means. Maximum five carries. But you chip away some of these carries. You revert the game flow. All of a sudden, Leonard Fournette is not in the top five in carries per game. And that's really what he has going for him. Volume. And if you chip that away, I'm not interested in the late first, early second round. It has to go. He has to go a bit later in standard leagues. Sure. okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's Leonard Fournette in a standard league. Don't overthink it. But in a PPR league, he's suddenly competing with a lot of options that I believe will be more active in the passing game. And it just pushes him down. Like 
Alvin Kamara, for example, is someone you would draft before Leonard Fournette in all formats. Now, who's this year's Alvin Kamara? The running back you can get a little later who offers the most upside for the buck in fantasy drafts. And he was going, what, eighth, ninth round last year? He was a ninth rounder last year. And that was because Peterson was signed. That's right. And Ingram was still there. So we didn't know that they were going to trade Peterson away. That's why he was going that late. I think this year I was looking at the ADP here to try to pick somebody out that might surprise. I had to go to the seventh round for somebody that I think has that sort of upside, and it's Carry On Johnson for for Detroit. Carry on my wayward son. <laughs> There'll be an RB one before we're done. Uh, it's always an adventure being on this podcast. <laughs> Certainly a wide open backfield. They've they're done with Amir Abdullah. They're done. Clearly, he's done. Amir Abdullah is the Dante Moncrief of running backs, you would agree? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I I would like to see him get a change of scenery to see what he could do elsewhere. Theoretic, one of my favorite PPR guys for the last five years, just his involvement was dipped last year. So let's not forget that. It, was it wasn't weird. like they were force-feeding him. Uh, Johnson can take over some of the passing down role. Uh, LeGarrette Blunt, he's always there causing problems. Touchdown problems, short yardage problems. Yeah, so yeah. we'll see. We'll see. But I think seventh round, that's a nice thats a nice upside pick there. Oh, yeah. Johnson. The versatile, explosive rookie in the ambiguous backfield on a team with an ascending offense. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we had with Alvin Kamara last year, and that's what we have now with Karrion Johnson. This offense is going to be great, John. You have one of the best wide receiver cores in the league with my favorite configuration of talent where you have an air yard star on the outside in Marvin Jones. You have a yak monster on the inside in Golden Tate and you have an ex alpha dog who can play all over the place in Kenny Galladay. And then you upgrade the offensive line with the Frank Ragnows of the first round Mm -hmm. and you add Karrion Johnson to go with Matthew Stafford who is at the peak of his powers. So the Lions offense is going to be clicking on all cylinders this year, and that means when Karrion Johnson gets opportunities like Alvin Kamara last year, they're going to be efficient opportunities. And he was efficient at Auburn when the coaches were not giving away the play call. Because often on the goal line, what they would do is call direct snaps to Karrion Johnson, take the quarterback off the field. Of course, the defense knows it's going to be a run play. What are you doing? So he was set up to fail at Auburn. I'm excited to see Karrion Johnson operate in a modern offense that's poised to be one of the most efficient offenses in the league. Love that answer. Now let's look at Green Bay, because I thought you might say Jamal Williams there. That was my guess. Oh, when you when I said seventh round? Well, look at the show sheet. The following question... <laughs> is about the Green Bay backfield because I try to call my shots sometimes during this show. So I failed there, got into the warning track. Who's the best all-around talent in this Green Bay backfield? So in a vacuum, who would you rather have? And then beyond that, who's the best fantasy option at their ADP? The best all-around back in Green Bay is Ty Montgomery because he does everything pretty good. He's a pretty good runner. There it is. That's it. I would say I would say he's quite good in the in the as a receiver because he's a former receiver. He's excellent. And he's a pretty good pass blocker. Uh here's his issue. Aaron Jones is a far superior runner. 
but he doesn't seem to have the passing game down. Certainly he's not a good pass blocker. And you have Aaron Rodgers back there. You cannot be taking any risks. So when Aaron Jones comes in the game, there's a pretty good chance they're running the ball, which may not work out very well for him if he's not playing on any passing downs whatsoever because they're going to know what's coming. Uh, Jamal Williams is a good pass blocker. (laughs) (laughs) We're looking for positive traits on the Jamal Williams profile. He's a volume guy. If he ends up being the starter because the other two guys are injured, he's going to give you fantasy starter numbers because it's a good offense. But I, you know, I would, I don't know. I would see Montgomery as being the guy that I would want because I think he'll end up playing more than people think. But I also, you know, Aaron Jones, I'm really intrigued with his running ability. So if Montgomery gets injured, you know, Jones is easily the the best runner of that group uh, and can can post some great numbers for you. I think Aaron Jones is the back to own in Dynasty. So you nailed that. But also in seasonal leagues, especially PPR leagues, you have to draft Ty Montgomery. I'm getting Ty Montgomery so late, even in expert leagues, and it doesn't make sense to me because this is not theoretic, John. He weighs 215 pounds. He's been a bell cow back in Green Bay when called upon. This is a satellite back plus. Uh And he's not competing with exceptional talents for carries and touches. So he will be in there more than most fantasy analysts expect, if for no other reason than that's who Aaron Rodgers and the coaching staff trust. And we've seen this time and time again. Certain teams have a heavier preference for veteran players. They are seniorocracies, not meritocracies. And that's the case in Green Bay. All these forces are pushing Ty Montgomery toward the touches. In all game situations, don't be surprised when he's in there on first down. He's not just a third down back. That's the misperception. Agree. Now, what about Adrian Peterson? Will he be on the roster in week one? I want to know. I would love to be there for Jamal Charles's workout or whatever he did for the Redskins because I would have to see him and what's going on, why people are passing on him and instead going with Adrian Peterson, I guess. I don't know. Um, this is a situation where Peterson is coming in. He's he's competing with Fat Rob Kelly, who's no longer Fat Rob. He's lost weight, I believe. Oh, he did. Oh, good for Rob. Good for Mr. Kelly. Slim down. Slim Rob. He's Kelly's been ahead of P Ryan uh, in preseason and in, in camp. Uh, so I mean, certainly the the first first and second down job is up for grabs there. Uh, I could see Peterson winning that. He did show that he can handle the load. He didn't show much efficiency in Arizona, but he saw a ton of carries. That's right. And touches. And it's not like they have a great offensive line, one of the worst offensive lines in football in Arizona. So he was set up to fail there anyway, but he still took yeah over 20 carries in a handful of games. Yeah. And so you could see 15 to 18 carries for him if he wins the job. I, this is it's you look at Kelly's efficiency last year not good p ryan not good so this is wide open uh i think the the player to own there is chris thompson i really like him oh yeah ppr formats how high should he be going in drafts uh after the geis injury i tweeted out that he's a third or fourth round value late third early fourth round value looking at the running backs that are going in that same range has to now you you can get him in the fifth Pretty much whenever you want. Right. He's leaking into the sixth now, but definitely in the fifth round, he's going to be there. So, I, you know, that's where I would try to get him. I would maybe grab a Golden Tate in the fourth and try to get 
Thompson or maybe Rex Burkhead or somebody like that in the fifth round. What about Jonathan Williams? Would you rather have Adrian Peterson or Jonathan Williams? Because Jonathan Williams seems to have seized the Mark Ingram backup role, which is a starter's role as the between the tackles grinder to begin the season. People need to be excited about Jonathan Williams, don't they? Well, they don't need to be excited. They could be mildly interested. He could help you win matchups in the first four games of the season. Yeah, it looks like it because they cut West, Terrence West. Um, They got Shane Vereen. He's a pass catching back. Yeah. Trey Edmonds, yeah. Boston Scott. Yeah. yeah. Boston Scott. These are satellite backs, satellite backs, satellite backs, satellite back. The one grinder they have on the roster now is Jonathan Williams. There's touchdowns to be had in New Orleans. The best run blocking unit in the league last season belonged to the New Orleans Saints. So you want the grinder on that team, even for just a few games. It's the beginning of the season. You could just play him and drop him, but he could help you win matchups. And winning a matchup in week one or week two really matters right? Isn't that a big deal? Yeah, they have Tampa, Cleveland, Atlanta, and the Giants the first four weeks. That's not bad at all. Uh, Atlanta's maybe the toughest matchup there. But you could also do a Mark... I like... I'm getting Mark Ingram a lot in the fifth, sixth round. Oh, me too. You could do an uh, Ingram-Williams combo. In a handful of leagues, I have Ingram West, and that's not going as well. (laughs) Damn it! Oh, God! What about stacking those Cleveland grinders? Would you ever stack Carlos Hyde and Nick Chubb? I, I, I wouldn't because Chubb's still going way too early. He is. He's going like ninth. I mean, wouldn't you rather have Montgomery or James White? In a PPR league, absolutely. I think Nick Chubb is going too early. But there's upside there. Whenever you can draft one of these high-pedigree rookie running backs in the mid to late rounds, that always seems like a good idea just based on upside alone. Mm-hmm. But it's not just two running backs. It's three running backs because they're also competing for touches with Duke Johnson. So who is the back to own in that backfield? If it's not Nick Chubb, is it Hyde or is it Johnson? I think Johnson's role is safest. Right. uh, PPR. Uh, Hyde is way ahead of Chubb right now based on what we're seeing in the preseason and reports out of camp. So, I mean, I didn't watch Hard Knocks this week. But that's where I get all my Cleveland Browns information. Right, yeah. Yeah. Devastating news. You didn't watch Hard Knocks. Oh, no. You missed out. I liked it when Hyde was available in like the ninth round or tenth round. But now he's going in the fifth. He's creeping So Yeah. Yeah. So the value is no longer there. I'd rather have Duke in the pick 77 in PPR formats. When it's not an efficient offense, you're better off drafting the satellite back. When it's an efficient offense with lots of red zone opportunities, an efficient run-blocking offensive line, that's when you want to draft the grinder. So, for example, in New Orleans, Jonathan Williams is a great bet. In Cleveland, you're better off with the space back in Duke Johnson. What about in Tampa? Because Peyton Barber is running significantly ahead of Ronald Jones, and this matters. Yeah, the the snaps are just, you can't even deny the playing time right now. And, and the word out of camp, I mean, Peyton Barber is like, I think heading into the season, we're like, he's just another guy, but he had a, he had a pretty good run. Um, you know, last year, 18 touches over his final five games, I think 84 total yards. He was relatively elusive. We track evaded tackles per touch on player profiler. 27.4% juke rate was top 20 among NFL running backs. Well, that's a good stat to, to have. Cause you just kind of think of him as maybe a plotter, but I don't think so. Uh, I think ninth, 10th round, you're getting him right now. Uh, it doesn't look like his 80. I, mean, I was just looking at ADP from the last three days, and he's going pick 
110. He's up 50 picks, though. He was going at slot 160. Now he's at 110. So he'll be a top 100 pick by the end of the summer. Agree. And But he's he's currently the last likely starting running back to go off the board. And of the guys we're talking about, maybe Marlon Mack, um, Chris Carson at this point, Isaiah Crowell. You know, Barber seems to be the most solidified on the top of his depth chart right now with Ronald Jones struggling so much. Why would you draft Isaiah Crowell two rounds earlier on the Jets when you could have Peyton Barber two rounds later on the Buccaneers? Makes no sense. Yeah, you should be drafting Bilal Powell at pick 128 instead. Exactly. That's the bad team corollary. Take the satellite back. On the team that will on the team that will likely be playing from behind, that's Duke Johnson, that's Bilal Powell. You mentioned Chris Carson. Is he a value, or has all of his value been eviscerated as he's skyrocketed up draft boards? So pick eighty nine is eighth round, mid, middle of the eighth round. Uh, I'm a I'm a believer in Penny's talent, so I have a tough time with this. Um, I think he's destined to be a starting fantasy running back and probably top 15 within the next two or three years. Uh, so I have a tough time with this. Uh, and, and you look at the f- drive before the injury, the drive, the first drive of their game, they were both in. Carson, I believe, got the first carry, but Penny was in on the, you know, he was rotating in on the first drive. So I don't see this as a RB1, RB2 relationship. I see this as a 1A, 1B. And this is, so it's a split, which is bad because it's a split. And you also have a pretty bad offensive line in Seattle. And now a bad defense. Yeah, and that's hurting, going to hurt the running game. So bad, 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 man. Pick 72 for Penny, pick 89 for Carson. I'm not excited about either of these, really. I think they're, I mean, would you rather have Rashad Penny or carry on Johnson? You got to take Johnson, right? Got to go carry on Johnson. Yeah. And if I had to take yeah. a Seattle Seahawks running back at his ADP, I'm drafting CJ Procise. So you mentioned Marlon Mack. I'm hearing Jordan Wilkins is the guy to own in Indianapolis, but then I watched the preseason game and he's in the backfield in the fourth quarter. What's up with that? <laughs> There is an incongruence here. <laughs> so preparation for this year, I went back and watched like all the Marlon Mack touches from last second half of last season. And in the back of my head, people, the doubters were saying, the naysayers were saying he doesn't run between the tackles. I didn't see that. I didn't see him trying to bounce everything outside, uh, anything of the sort. So that, maybe that was an early se- season bias that people drew or they drew it from his college play or whatever. But Well, that was the indictment at South Florida. That was in his scouting report, that he liked to bounce runs outside. Do you know who else had that in his scouting report at Northern Iowa? David Johnson. Oh, he's pretty good. David Johnson was not a running back that could run between the tackles. He was too afraid, John. He bounced everything to the outside. That was the issue with David Johnson. That's why... Get ready for this. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. That's why Minnesota running back David Cobb was thought to be the better pick in 2015. That happened. I was there for it. Boy, I'd block that out. I'd block that out, man. You have a stronger mind than I do. (laughs) It's all to say that Marlon Mack is being underappreciated because he is going to be the starter when healthy on the Andrew Luck offense, an offense that improved their offensive line more than any other team in the league this offseason. I was impressed with Mack. 
Uh, I think he could be the the three down back there. I know they drafted Naeem Hines. He's fumbled like 45 times uh, in preseason, apparently. What is Naeem Hines doing? How is this possible? His fumble rate is higher than I've ever seen in any level of football. Like, you can go to a little giant game with sixth graders, and they're not fumbling that much. It's crazy. Right. I And then, well, yeah, Wilkins. I think you could you could do a Mac-Wilkins combo stack pretty cheaply. Yeah, you can. I've done that. I've been drafting Mac just from the upside in that seventh, eighth round range. I think. And then Jim Ursay, let's all do credit to the owner of the, the Colts. He came out and said that Mac is the guy. He's going to have 1,500 total yards this year. And when the owner says something like that, he knows he's not a dummy. He knows what's going on with his team. So I'm going to go with Mac. I know the, the hamstring injury is probably helping us right now because if we're Mac truthers or whatever you want to call us, um, getting him at a good value right now. You can get him now in the eighth round. So thank you, everyone. I'm going to just take my chips and move them over here. Thank you very much. Most years, there's a handful of undervalued aging running backs. I'm not seeing that this year. Are there any undervalued aging running backs? We talked about LaShawn McCoy. He no longer qualifies. Who else could we identify as a value old running back? So I was looking around trying to find an old running back that's underappreciated. I think Bilal Powell. We talked about him a little bit earlier. Yes. He's turning 30 in October, career 4.4 yards per carry. You know, Matt Forte is gone, but we have Isaiah Crowell in. Elijah McGuire is injured, so Powell will be the satellite back for a while. Um, 50th running back off the board. He's playing with the starters, lining up in the slot. Uh, I don't see how he doesn't outplay that draft position. One of the closest comps in the player profiler database, analytical comps, just looking at the metrics, it's James White, Bilal Powell, Bilal Powell, James White. Talked about satellite backs. I mean, could James White be the most underrated satellite back in the league? I mean, I understand he's not sexy, but he is going to play a major role on that Patriots offense. You talk about lining up in the slot. He's their best slot receiver right now. Yeah, he's going in the eighth round. Yeah. Uh, he was going even later. Oh, way later. All summer, yeah. Tenth, oh, twelfth. Ridiculous. I like him, and I like him a lot in best ball because you don't have to figure out when to start him. You just. You That's just right. sit back and he just, you know, you harvest the the crops every other week or whenever he has his his five catches for 80 yards and a touchdown. Um, it, I think it his overall involvement will depend on the health of of uh, Rex Burkhead and Sony Michelle and uh, but he, his role is going to be that four catch, 40 yard, maybe a touchdown. You could probably count on it every week, but there's going to be a weird week where he has that one or two catches barely involved. But then he's going to have that game where he goes seven or eight for 80, 90 yards and has a touchdown or two. So um, it's the problem with him is figuring out when to start him. But I think it, his ADP, it's hard to to pass him up. What about White versus Marlon Mack right there in those 90 picks? I gotta... You go Marlon Mack for the upside. But after that, it's James White, particularly in the draft master format like you talked about. But even in a traditional fantasy league, we had the Blunt Vereen experience in New England. Is it a Vereen game or a Blunt game? Mm-hmm. And when the New England Patriots are playing a Pittsburgh Steelers, for example, or a Green Bay Packers, pretty much any NFC team, because the NFC is now the Western Conference of the NBA, right? Mm-hmm. So when the Patriots play the Steelers or an NFC team, that's when you want to get James White in your lineup. Now, talking about slot receivers, another undervalued slot receiver continues to be Jarvis Landry. Is he going to be a WR1 this year? When I was looking at Landry, you know, from a PPR standpoint, he's finished in the top 13, 
three straight years, I believe. Top, it was fourth last year. It was a down year for receivers, but he was fourth still. Fourth, like top five receiver in fantasy. That happened. 160 targets. So this is the question with Cleveland and him changing teams. It's not a quarterback downgrade whatsoever, I don't think. You know, you're looking at who he's been catching passes from in Miami. You know, he's going to Tyrod Taylor, maybe Baker uh, Mayfield, maybe. Um, the question is the volume. Will he, will he see 140-plus, 150-plus targets to turn in that wide receiver one season? I wonder because now Josh Gordon's back. David Njoku's going to command 80-plus targets, maybe? Hopefully. I don't know. I hope so. Duke Johnson? Duke Johnson's going to get 80 targets. So I don't see the volume being there for him. I don't see the the force-feeding Landry. Although, I, you know, you watch him on Hard Knocks. Again, all my Cleveland Brown news right. from I Hard mean, Knocks. All you do is watch Hard Knocks all day, John. I, I watch the episode six, seven times in a row sometimes. <laughs> Jarvis Landry, he looks fantastic. <laughs> all he's doing is making plays and letting everyone know about it. Yes, and dropping the F-bomb in, in the... I think he's gonna. I think he's a good value at his draft position. Doesn't need to be a wide receiver one to return value where he's going. But I think the days of Jarvis Landry, unless there's an injury or something happens to Josh Gordon, because I don't think the volume is going to be the target volume. And I talked earlier about buying opportunity, fading efficiency, specifically last year's efficiency. And we talk about expected versus actual fantasy points and. How do you identify players who exceeded efficiency expectations last season? And are those the players that you would typically fade? Is that part of your process? Sure. Uh, TJ Hernandez, who works at 444, does a great series talking about um, touchdown regression candidates at each position. Right. So when he does his, he's got a, a red zone EV metric that he uses, and he lists three or four at each position that are going to uh, progress to the mean. Whatever, however you want, regress to the mean positively, positive regre- uh, regression. People hate that phrase, but people know what it means. That's why it's a phrase. Yeah, positive mean reversion is what I call it. Regression is a negative connotation. It has a negative connotation. So I say positive regression, that sort of explains it, but whatever. This is never going to, this will never be solved, this Correct. problem that we're talking about right now. Okay, yeah, so, yeah. and then there's the negative regression uh, candidates as well. So he talks about those. And it does play a fact because I'm looking at my numbers and, you know, you start to look at these TD rates and can they maintain it? You know, guys like Deshaun Watson, Chris Thompson, even who I like, he scored touchdowns at a very high rate. Uh, Alvin Kamara. A lot of these guys can regress significantly and still be good for you. Some of them are being drafted a little too high. I think Tyree Kill is an example. Um, I don't know if he's going to be able to maintain his efficiency with Sammy Watkins in town. We have a quarterback change, and he's, what, the 10th wide receiver off the board? Yeah. I like him. I like him. I know you like him. You liked him last year. Congratulations. We argued about Tyreek Hill last year. I stated that Tyreek Hill embodies the Peter principle in the NFL, a wide receiver being promoted to his level of incompetence. And you said Tyreek Hill is is the clear-cut number one wide receiver in his passing game, and he's one of the best athletes in the league, and that's all I need to know. And you were right, and I was wrong. But I'm doubling down, and I'm saying, listen, it's impossible to score that many touchdowns from 30 yards away in a season, especially when you change quarterbacks. You would think, oh, Patrick Mahomes has a better throwing arm. He's better at pushing the ball down the field, but he's still new and he's young, and that matters. Take the nameplates off the jersey. If he's new, if there's turnover there, 
that's riskier than if you had a stable mm -hmm. skill group around Tyreek Hill. Yeah, I think Tyreek Hill was going in the fourth or fifth round last year, if I remember correctly. That's right. That was good. That was good value. Third round this year, not good value in my opinion. Uh, I'd rather have Larry Fitzgerald PPR formats. No brainer for me. Bingo. Um, and and a lot of it is what you mentioned, the quarterback. The other thing is Alex Smith was very good with the deep ball last year, and it resulted in a good season for Tyreek Hill. You know, maybe you're saying that not you, but you know, the royal you that Mahomes is a better a uh, deep ball thrower than Alex Smith, but he's going to have to do very, very well to outplay Alex Smith of last year, right? He's not outplaying Alex Smith. I don't care what his raw skill set looks like. It's going to be very difficult for any quarterback to be more efficient in the deeper quadrants of the field than Alex Smith was last season. It's not going to happen. And Tyreek Hill, for that reason, is being overdrafted. But a player that's being drafted before Tyreek Hill has a much higher floor, much safer because of his role tethered to Aaron Rodgers. Two players that now have incredible rapport, and that's Devontae Adams. Is he the most improved wide receiver in all of football? I I would say so. I mean, that the start that he got off to in his career, 38 for 446 as a rookie, 50 for 483 as a sophomore. He had four, to four total touchdowns in those two seasons. He was Nelson Aguilar before Nelson, before Nelson Aguilar in terms of catastrophic first two seasons of a career. He still hasn't cracked 1,000 yards, but he doesn't need to in this offense. He had 12 touchdowns in 2016, 10, 10 last year, um, 75, 74 catches each year. So he's he's got a really wicked um, jab, jab step. Uh, he's good around the red zone, can create little pockets of space, and you know Aaron Rodgers is – going to be able to find it um i'm seeing another almost thousand yard thousand yard season for him plus close to 10 touchdowns if not 10 or more i think i've got him at 10.9 uh so he's excellent i think with jordy gone the primary read in the red zone along with uh jimmy graham yeah it's gonna be the Devonte adams jimmy graham show in the red zone what about geronimo allison is he worth drafting at all you know when uh, the packers took three rookie wide receivers uh in the draft i pretty much wrote off Geronimo Allison, but apparently mm. he has quietly won the wide receiver three job. He's quote, I believe it's quote unquote, always in the right place, which is huge for Rogers. Uh, because if Rogers knows where you're going to be, he can deliver the ball to where you're at. But if you're not in the right spot, which was, I believe Jeff Janice's problem, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you don't have any trust. Except that one game against the Cardinals where he was always in the right spot 50 yards downfield, and converting contested catches for touchdowns. Except that one time. He was definitely in the right spot that day. Yes. And I think there was six injuries to that receiving core, so he was in the game. It really helped him. <laughs> Being in the game was very helpful for Jeff Janice that day. Because Aaron Rodgers decides who plays and who doesn't, right? We know this. Yeah, we know. We know. I, that's why I blamed Aaron Rodgers for chasing Jeff Janice out of town, and I stand by that. That's fair. I mean, that's you're a Jeff Janis guy. I'm an Aaron Rodgers guy. Yeah, yeah. I'll die. I'll die on that hill. I'll die on the Aaron Rodgers hill. And I'm currently dying on this Jeff Janis hill. <laughs> <laughs> Slow death. Get shot. Help me, Jeff Janis. Geronimo Allison, wide receiver three for the Packers, has value. They're on the field 75, 80 percent of the time. If there's an injury to Cobb, which is not unlikely at all, uh, he's suddenly the second receiver. Uh, you know, I, I think there might be some change over here, though. I mean, there's, some of these rookies are going to come on. Uh, Valdez Scantling really had a good preseason game. 
looks like he's the most NFL ready of those three uh, rookies. So we'll see. But I think Al- Allison, where he's going is, you know, it's very good value. 16th, 17th round, you can grab him. Where they're playing D'Angelo Yancey, I'm thinking one of Jamon Moore or Equinemius St. Brown is going to get sent to the practice squad and then likely poached by another team. Yeah, I'm worried about our three guys, our three rookies. One of them is going to be gone because they've also got Trevor Davis, who's been injured, but he's the return guy. So unless they, I guess if all this Scantling can return kicks. They got to move Scantling to return or they can't burn a roster spot on Trevor Davis, John. You know that's not a good idea. I just drafted him in my return league just because he was the number 13 wide receiver last year in this particular return league I was in. And I was just betting that I got him in like the 16th round or something. And I was just betting that he'd be back. So we'll see. see. Who's going to be this year's Devontae Adams? The receiver that comes back from the dead to win you a fantasy draft. Well, so you, when you sent me the show sheet, you said mine is John Brown. You, You took ownership over John Brown. Now, mine would have been John Brown as well. Oh, yeah. No, say John Brown. No, dude, you're the guest. Uh, after you, sir. Well, let's talk about John Brown then because... Please, John Brown, yes. You know, two years into his career, heading into his third season, probably, I mean, one of the most intriguing, certainly, one of the most intriguing young receivers, ascending receivers in the league, Smokey. Dealing with the sickle cell stuff. He did something that Devontae Adams could not do, a thousand-yard season. Indeed. Uh, in Arizona, no less. So alongside Larry Fitzgerald. So really was excited about him heading into year three. He's been struggling with the sickle cell thing. Arizona flat out gave up on him. And now he joins a a Baltimore Ravens team that vacated 10,000 targets from last year. So much opportunity. He's having a great off season. You can get him in the 12th round. So he's not, I wouldn't say free, but close to free. And you're going to get a starting receiver who could very well lead the the Ravens in yardage. I think Michael Crabtree is also a good value pick in the in PPR formats, especially in the sixth round, just because of volume that he's going to see and probably red zone targets he's going to see. But John Brown should should have a great year, uh, especially relative to his ADP. Do you know which team has the most pass attempts the last three seasons? Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore Ravens. Bingo. Draft John Brown after you draft Michael Crabtree. Stack those receivers in the high volume offenses. Could be Tennessee. Rashard Matthews, Taewon Taylor. Is Rashard Matthews a cautionary tale for those fading Doug Baldwin because of this knee injury? We later find out Rashard Matthews not hurt at all. He was just holding out. But the Titans are now so secretive because they have Mike Vrabel, who comes from the Patriot school Mm, mm -hmm. of secrecy, that Rashard Matthews for the last three weeks has been one of the best value-wide receivers in fantasy drafts. So you're suggesting that the Baldwin situation is similar? He's holding out and not injured? We're overreacting to news of injury in preseason when as long as the guy is not scheduled for surgery, just act as if he's going to be there in week one. We talked about this with Marlon Mack. Act as if he'll be active week one. That's all you need to know, man. Gotcha. So Matthews was really a contract situation. And now I've got him back, I think, in my top 50. You know, Corey Davis probably is still the, the guy there. You think? Um, in terms of a breakout. Mm. In terms of a breakout potential, we'll more upside. Yeah, well. Yeah. It's it's feeling very Devontae Parker for Corey Davis in Tennessee. Oh, wow. Are you not getting a Devontae Parker, Josh Doxon sense from what's happening? Getting outplayed 
every training camp practice and preseason game by Taewon Taylor? Uh, I don't. I wouldn't say that he's being outplayed by Taewon Taylor. I don't know about that. I'm having a tough time with the the Parker jumping on that Parker example right now with Davis. I don't think so. Uh, that's why I'm the Podfather, and I specialize in the hot takes. I find the analogies that the others will use a year from now, and I state them on the show a right. year before they're even invented. That's not a bad strategy, because if if it comes true, you can post this on Twitter 6,000 times, and if it doesn't, we can just pretend this didn't happen, this conversation. I feel like you're my marketing manager. I know <laughs> you understand exactly how I operate. Spooky. It's a good strategy. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So this Titans receiving core, you're projecting more targets for Corey Davis right now than Rashard Matthews? Yeah, I'm about 110, 120. Um, people get very I, – I, I'm, I'm doing this off the top of my head because I don't really project targets. I have yet to play in a point-per-target league. I, I just project catches and yards and touchdowns, and maybe I need to start doing that for people that get very upset when I don't have target projections. But Davis, 110, 120. Matthews, 90. Taewon, 70. Delani's been over ugh, 110 to 120 for the last three or four seasons. Maybe he's at 90, 95. So I'm expecting a little bit less from him. But this is, uh, they're going to need to pass significantly more, which I expecting they are going to pass some more with Matt LaFleur in there yeah. um, to, yeah. to support all these, to support all these good. It's an exciting offense, right? Yeah. And Mariota at the helm. And the schedule is challenging to start the season, but that's not necessarily a bad thing for the passing game. Right. A bad schedule hurts the run game, means the team will likely be playing from behind, and that means more pass volume. So I'm not avoiding Marcus Mariota because the schedule is difficult to start the season. Marcus Mariota is one of the best values at the quarterback position in fantasy drafts. We also talked about the Seattle wide receiver core. How do you project those targets with so much ambiguity, so many vacated targets? How do you figure out who's going to fill those voids? Well, one of the players I brought up with, uh, I wrote down, I scribbled down, is who is this year's Devontae Adams? I thought Tyler Lockett has a, I think Tyler Lockett has a chance. Oh, yeah. Stepping into the number two role there, he should have that to himself as opposed to splitting it with Paul Richardson because obviously Paul Richardson's gone, but... I don't know that Jared, Jaron Brown and Brandon Marshall are going to give Lockett the same type of competition for snaps at the second receiver position. You're Baldwin probably for 120, 130. Lockett maybe for 90 to 100. You also have Jimmy Graham gone, so I don't think Ed Dixon is going to absorb all those targets. So I think Lockett, you know, another year removed from his injury, speed is back. Mm-hmm. Really could really could surprise there with uh, in that offense. Tyler Lockett's best comparable player on Player Profiler is John Brown. (laughs) There you go. And he had 70 targets last year. It's easy to forget that Tyler Lockett had 70 targets last year. Now, no Paul Richardson. 100 targets is in his range of outcomes. You give 100 targets to a guy with 4-4 wheels and a 10-96, 78th percentile agility score. Someone who was dominant with a 45% dominator rating at Kansas State. So he's checking all the boxes, had a gruesome injury. He's back, has the number two wide receiver chair to himself. It's an easy case to make for Tyler Lockett. I'm also making a case for Tyrell Williams. 
because I believe Tyrell Williams has that second wide receiver chair to himself. And it's only being confirmed by what we're seeing in preseason, where Mike Williams is playing in the fourth quarter. He's catching a touchdown against the opposing defense's number eight cornerback from a third string quarterback. And Twitter is lighting up as if they've seen the most impressive touchdown conversion of their lifetimes. What the hell? Well, from my view, Tyrell is running ahead of Mike in practice and in games and is going after him in the draft. So it's not rocket science. Hands are in the air. It is not rocket science. Marquise Goodwin also seems to be Jimmy Garoppolo's number one receiver. So does he move ahead of Pierre Garçon officially? Yeah, I had, I mean, I'm, I don't know if you know me, but Pierre Garçon was my man. No, I know. That's why I'm asking the question. This is a lot. I know you very well, John. Not better than you know yourself, of course. I know you very well. And some of these questions are meant to agitate, but also inspire. We're trying to get emotional John Paulson. Some of the best segments in show history when we're able to pull out that emotional John Paulson. That's the best. I'm trying to, I'm pulling on strings here. Yeah, just don't bloody your hand when we talk about Janice next, okay? Just don't do that. That was epic. Top five moment in show history. I smashed my mouse when John Paulson insisted that it was the Devontae Adams show, not the Jeff Janice show, in Green Bay three years ago, and I cut my hand. Yeah, and Devontae Adams didn't even have that great of a year. But anyway, he did play over Jeff Janice because he's in the right spot. <laughs> he was in the game. He was in the right spot. Uh, Goodwin, I believe, has passed Pierre Garçon. I'm sad to say I thought Pierre Garçon was he was going to have a good year last year and then he got injured. He was being, you know, he was on pace for a good PPR year. Not a lot of touchdowns. I think the same thing will happen this year. Garçon will be a pretty good PPR player, but uh, we're getting more targets now to Goodwin. We're starting to design plays for him. He's starting to establish himself, I think, as the number one receiver. Uh, He saw 24.4 percent of targets in the five games with Garoppolo, so he's comfortable throwing to him. Uh, yeah, I think Goodwin is for real. We talked about Devontae Parker earlier. I have Devontae Parker in the same archetype as Dante Moncrief, Josh Doxson, Martavis Bryant, and soon-to-be Mike Williams. These are the touchdown specialists, the red zone weapons, with tantalizing size-adjusted speed and uh-huh. all-around skill sets that we just can't wait for them to get fed to be featured for their offensive coordinators to scheme them open, right? And then we look around, and they're 27 years old, and it's not going to happen. So who has been and continues to be the most overrated of those three receivers, Doxon, Parker, and Bryant? Um, I have to say Parker because he was supposed to break out two years ago, I believe, and then last year, of course, and they're counting on him again. When I say they, it's again, it's the Royal Day now. Uh, but he's struggling in camp. Kenny Stills is the best value. Thank to you. me in that in that passing game in terms of ADP and everything. I'm not I'm hands off Parker now, given the fact that he's struggling again. They signed Albert Wilson. You know, they're looking for a role for him. Maybe he takes over Devontae Parker's role. Why do you sign Albert Wilson if you're not gonna play him? Right. Why are you gonna sign Paul Richardson if you're not gonna feature Josh Doxon down the field? Exactly. Um and Martavis Bryant playing behind Jordy Nelson and Amari Cooper, I right? You know, I don't know what he's going to do as the third receiver. And Oh, I can tell you what Martavis Bryant's going to do this year. A whole bunch of nothing. Yeah, so, yeah, I would say of those three, Parker, I, I really have Dotson low, 70s, I think. You know, he's competing with Richardson, but, you know, he probably has maybe the, the clearest path at this point. 
because there's still that tantalizing upside with him. I don't know that it's there there with uh with Parker anymore. Uh, avoid, avoid, avoid. Listen, John, you are famously one of the most precise fantasy analysts in the industry, hell, of all time. And because you appreciate precision, you must hate missing the playoffs or losing fantasy championships when you have the best team. Thankfully, the Apex fantasy football platform is doing more than any other to solve this dilemma. They host high-stakes leagues that feature doubleheader matchups and free agent acquisition using blind bidding. So the fantasy football bad beat is a solved equation. It's been solved by Apex Fantasy. That's why when you go to any given player page on the right-hand side, it says in clear text, play Alvin Kamara, Amari Cooper, Marlon Mack, even Geronimo Allison on Apex Fantasy. Everyone within the sound of my voice should click that link the next time they visit a player page. You been playing any basketball lately? No, my knees and uh, back gave out on me. Your knee and back? Yeah, my knees and back. Yeah, I'm I'm done playing. But you're done? I'm retired. Wow, you're done, done. I just coached my son. That's it. So the audience knows John Paulson is the best basketball player in the fantasy football community. In his prime, this was a college athlete. And we give a lot of tips on the show, the mansion lifestyle advice. Give us a tip to being a better sportsman. To improving in whatever area of athletics you're interested in. Uh, all right. Well, this is coming from a Division Three national champion. I'm just going to mention that because I did we at the very highest level. The bona fides. Not the very highest level. Division Three is not the very highest level. But we, for what I was playing, we were at the very highest level. We beat Steve Alford's Manchester team when he was uh, the coach for Manchester and in Indiana in the final. I would say playing for Bo Ryan, who is uh, a known hard ass that you have to be thick-skinned and you have to hate you have to learn to hate losing more than you like winning mm. uh, that I think drives you and then it in turn affects your practice play and you treat every practice like it's a game situation if you're not going at game speed in practice you're not going to be able to go game speed effectively in the game are you listening to this Devonte Parker are you listening to John Paulson Devonte Parker Every time you set foot on the football field, you have to be playing in game speed. Devontae Parker has played at game speed like three times in the last three fucking years. <laughs> My tip is more specific, more technique minutia, because I've noticed this across all sports that I play. When I see someone fail, there's a consistent observation. They're holding their breath. You notice this in tennis, in golf, basketball, shooting, free throws. People hold their breath. You need to breathe out vigorously. If you can just practice breathing out vigorously, your follow-through will be better in tennis. You'll snap the club better in golf. You'll snap your wrist a little bit more. You'll get a little bit more arc on that free throw. Just learn to breathe out Focus on your breathing while you're playing, and you'll notice, oh, wait, I just held my breath there, and that there's the pot going off to the left. That's why. Breathe out. Your lungs are an engine of your cardiovascular system. Get them working as you're exerting. I was watching uh, the World Cup with my son, who's a soccer player and a basketball player, and Ronaldo was getting ready to take a free kick. Or actually, he was getting ready to take a penalty kick, and they showed a close-up of him. And the number of deep breaths that he took 
prior to taking his kick had to be at least 10 or 12. Yep. He was calming himself. If you don't breathe properly, your heart rate rises and you're going to get a case of the yips. You might kick that. You might kick the ball over the goal, whatever. But that's what I tell Max now. Anytime he, my son Max, anytime he's taking a corner kick, he's a corner kick taker for his team. Big breath. Two or three big breaths before you kick. And I don't think he's hit, kicked the ball out of bounds last 10 games. So seems to be working for him. It works. Yeah. It also helps to calm the nerves to breathe regularly, but you have to train your body. You have to notice this. You have to be aware of your physiology and that's part of it. And John, you're a great coach, man. That was great advice. What would you say to Josh Gordon? If you had a moment alone with Josh Gordon in a room, what would you say to him? If you had to give him one piece of advice, I would tell him to hire a person who he trusts that would keep him away from all questionable decisions with regard to his substance abuse, uh, decision-making outside, off the field. I think on the field, he's fine. He's got he's to gotta be, he's got to play just like Jeff Janis. He's got to be on the field in order to produce. And he's played in 10 of the last 64 games that he could have been active for, all because of this substance abuse issue, off the field stuff. The potential that he has is amazing. Yep. Um, but he needs help with his decision making. I'll take that a step further. The Browns should be funding this initiative. The Browns should have understood the value that they have in Josh Gordon. They have Josh Gordon on his rookie deal. He's on his rookie deal into perpetuity because of the suspensions. So you have this incredible value, a $10 million talent for a fraction of the price. Just pay someone a few hundred thousand dollars a year to always be by his side. This should be something that the Browns offer to Josh Gordon. And I think that they could pay for this and not violate the collective bargaining agreement. It's an interesting question, but more teams should understand the value of the mental health of their players and go to extreme lengths to make sure that those players are in the best possible care so that when Sundays roll around, they're ready to perform and they're not worried about any other distractions in their life. There are two players that I am most excited to see perform on Sundays this season. So in week one, I'll be paying attention to the Lions and the Buccaneers very closely because I want to see Kenny Galladay and Chris Godwin. Who do you believe of those two players is sexiest? We're talking about his fantasy upside, right? Just everything. Just everything. Fantasy, real life. You're starting a franchise today. You're a general manager. Who do you got? Well, I like both players. I think Chris Godwin has an opportunity with Deshaun Jackson sort of, I wouldn't say fading, but on the downswing of his career. He's not a 100, 120 target player anymore. He's a 32-year-old field stretcher. Okay. So there's an opportunity there. They say they're going to start him. Preseason snaps haven't really reflected that. But usually you don't start talking about a, you know, what is it, year two receiver starting over Deshaun Jackson unless you're really actually going to start him over Deshaun Jackson. Right. Uh, in, the, in the five games where he played at least 50% of the snaps last year, Godwin averaged 4.2 catches for 73 yards, 0.2 touchdowns, 7.2 targets per game. I realized that Mike Evans may have been out one of those. Sean Jackson was out. That's why he was playing. But if you get him on the field, I think he's going to produce. He's got a great look about him. The metrics, I think, are there. Maybe you can speak to that. Well, you know who he looks like? He looks like your guy. He looks like young Pierre Garçon. Do you remember young Colts Pierre Garçon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Young Colts Pierre Garçon was a marvel to behold. 
And Chris Godwin is six foot, 210 pounds. So that's the Pierre Garçon prototype, super athletic, strong at the catch point, but also compiles yak after the catch. So he's incredibly versatile, can play every position on the field. That's young Pierre Garçon. Galladay is tempting on a, another front. I think there's more competition there for targets. But if somebody were to go down, you have a better. I think you have a better quarterback situation there. Although Winston's pretty good, fancy wise, he can get the he can get it there. But Matthew Stafford, you know, maybe Marvin Jones gets injured. Look at what you have with Galladay. Marvin Jones splits when Galladay played versus when he didn't play were dramatic. His production was cut in half when Galladay played. But I think that is a small sample trap. I am wary of the splits because what a split does is take what's already a small sample, 16-game NFL season, and make it even smaller. Mm -hmm. So what's more important to me is that Marvin Jones led the league in completed air yards last season, even though he was outside the top 20 in targets. I mean, isn't that a riddle? (laughs) How are you able to be number one in the league in completed air yards while being outside the top 20 in targets because you're a fabulous receiver? He is fabulous. I mean, if you built one of these outside wide receivers in the Chris Carter mold in a lab, the modern version would be Marvin Jones. And you have Golden Tate, the best over the last five years in yards after the catch per target. So he does what he does better than anyone else. Marvin Jones does what he does, sideline routes, better than anyone else. So the path to targets for Galladay isn't quite as smooth as it is for Godwin. I agree with you. Godwin was also a more precocious producer at the college level and is arguably a little bit better athlete than Galladay. So I believe that in a vacuum, Godwin is sexier. And I actually think that Godwin's upside, assuming the other receivers are healthy, is higher in Tampa. So agree, 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 agree. I think this rookie wide receiver class is going to exceed expectations this year. Who do you think is going to be the most productive rookie wide receiver? I think you may be right in that we're going to have some surprises. I think so. Uh, I don't know where necessarily they're going to come from. There isn't an obvious number one guy. Right. DJ Moore was the number one guy off the board, but he's got Funchess, Olsen, Christian McCaffrey there soaking up targets. Calvin Ridley is, is with Julio Jones, um, and Mohamed Sanu is not going to go away. I'm interested, I think, from a draft capital standpoint in terms of fantasy draft capital, very interested to see Cortland Sutton in Denver as the third receiver. You know, Demarius Thomas getting nicked up. Emmanuel Sanders getting nicked up. They're both over 30. If one of those guys sits for a stretch, Sutton could really emerge. Michael Gallup has just nothing but blue skies ahead of him on the depth chart. Blue sky and green grass for Michael Gallup. He's only got to compete with Alan Hearns for targets, really. Jason Witten out, Des Bryant out, that offense. But Cole Beasley's back, John. Oh, yeah, Cole Beasley. That was more of a Tony Romo guy, though. (laughs) I think so. I don't know. He's getting snaps with the ones in camp. It's Cole Beasley more than any other receiver Mm. running with Dak Prescott. So that's what Michael Gallup has to compete with. It's a very low bar. Anthony Miller, Chicago, seems to be locking down the slot job there. That's an interesting rookie as well. Those are the guys that kind of jumped out to me. Anybody else that I missed there? It's either Anthony Miller or Christian Kirk. I like Anthony Miller or Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk caught a pass in traffic in the end zone from Josh Rosen this preseason already. I really like Christian Kirk, and I really like Anthony Miller. These are slot-plus prototype 
wide receivers. And we have a couple slot plus prototype receivers in this draft class that were drafted in the second round. Both of them, Kirk and Miller, could exceed all expectations, be fantasy relevant on a weekly basis. It's really all about Allen Robinson in Chicago. If Allen Robinson's healthy, he's going to be Allen Robinson. He's going to be the primary option in that passing game. But we talk about wide receivers getting nicked up. If Allen Robinson has any delays in his recovery whatsoever, Anthony Miller has been hogging all the number one wide receiver snaps in training camp and now in preseason. He's the one developing the rapport with Trubisky. It's not Allen Robinson. So you can really see this rocket-like trajectory for Anthony Miller. It's not just an injury to Allen Robinson, an injury to Taylor Gabriel with the Mm -hmm. law of the conservation of targets would necessarily help Anthony Miller. But I'm hearing, no, that it's it's not Anthony Miller, John, and it's not even Allen Robinson. The real number one receiver in Chicago is Trey Burton. Yeah, it's Trey Burton. You think Trey Burton's the number one receiver in Chicago? I don't, but I, I'm, I'm admittedly more bullish on him than you are, that I can tell with your tone that you're not real bullish on Burton. My dismissive, sarcastic tone that I'm not sold on the 26-year-old move tight end who has never done anything in the NFL being a dominant force. Is it that tone? Yeah, that would be that would be the tone. I do think he has done something in the NFL. He when Zach Ertz is out, he's been good. Fancy points per target is right there in line with the top 10 uh tight end not named Gronkowski, Kelsey or Ertz. So I think he could finish in the top 10. He had that game in LA. Had the game against the Rams. Fantasy playoffs. Six targets, five receptions, 71 yards, two touchdowns. He was the number six tight end in fantasy football that week. So he's had big weeks. I just don't chase the move tight ends that weigh 235 pounds because they're not in the game in all game situations. They play the slot, and when they are running routes out of the slot, they have a higher hog rate targets per snap than the average tight end that's true but when they're on the two yard line and not in the game and Mitchell Trubisky is rolling out and hitting Adam Shaheen in the back of the end zone that's Mm. when you realize oh slap your forehead drafting Trey Burton over a tight end like Jack Doyle who's actually proven that he can be a tight end one in the league and is Andrew Luck's primary read in the red zone that wasn't a good idea who'd you rather have Trey Burton or Jack Doyle well, you set me up here because you know you know I like Doyle. I've been ending up with more Doyle than Burton because he's going later. He's going around later. He's not free, but he's ninth round. You got him on the field with Andrew Luck in the preseason over ninety percent of the snaps. So it speaks to your playing time. Doyle, 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 Doyle. The concern was Eric Ebron. Eric Ebron not on the field much. Thirty percent or less with with Luck so far. That could change, but I think Doyle's playing time in the preseason is indicative of the type of role he'll have going into the season. Yeah, Eric Ebron is the Devontae Parker of tight ends. Okay, I'll buy that one. 80 catches for Doyle last year. Woo! With Jacoby Brissett, baby! Don't forget Scott Tolzien. <laughs> you can't. No, former Packer. Uh, Yeah, that's pretty good. So, yeah, I like Doyle's value. Um, and I have him, I believe, ranked a little bit ahead of Burton, or it might be... I've been flip-flopping those two. I think I moved Doyle back up because of the, the playing time. So Move Doyle up. Move Doyle up. Move Doyle up. I will say Doyle, and he's also got the better quarterback. So Bingo. I, I would say Doyle is a better value than Burton. 
Jack Doyle's the best value tight end in the league. Who's the best value quarterback? We we met we in all of fantasy football. We touched on him earlier. Blake Bortles finished thirteenth, ninth, and fourth going backwards at his position. Twenty fifth off the board of the ADP I looked at. I don't know how this Stealing. is happening. Stealing. He's just got uh, the bad rep, I guess, right? He's got a damaged brand, man. Yeah. The perception of Blake Bortles is that he can't play, but it doesn't matter because he will be playing and he has weapons, as we've established. They're not going to bench him unless he just totally biffs it. <laughs> if you think that, then you should be rostering Cody Kessler in Dynasty Leagues. So. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Deep group of receivers. Got a good running game. They added Austin Safarian Jenkins as well at tight end. Bingo. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Lots of lots of plus signs next to Bortles' names, especially at his value or his ADP. It's great value. Now, we live in a streaming quarterback world. And for that reason, my favorite late-round quarterback is Matt Ryan because his schedule to begin the season is hard to believe. Have you seen his schedule to begin the season? I haven't. It's like you drafted up a schedule in fiction and you said this would be the best possible schedule a quarterback could ever have. So you're Matt Ryan and you play better in a dome. So why don't we give him five of his first seven games at home? We'll start there. And then those seven games will be against the Eagles, Panthers, Saints, Bengals, Steelers, Buccaneers, and Giants. And oh, by the way, your number one receiver is Julio Jones. How about that? That's not bad. There's not a bad matchup. He doesn't have a bad matchup until week nine, which is the Redskins, and that's not even that bad. He has a really bad matchup in week eight, which is his bye week. That He's going to score zero that week, unless he gets traded. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> what about Breeze, though? What about Breeze? Breeze is going later than he's ever gone. Yeah, he's he's the last of my that tier that, you know, after the Rodgers and the Russell Wilsons of the, of the world, uh, that next tier is pretty big for me. All the way down to Bruce, Bruce Drew Brees at nine. Um, they want to run the ball more. I don't know if the defense will cooperate again this year. Like it really cooperated last year. The defense got a lot better. That's right. Uh, if they, it's, this could be a Jaguar situation where the defense doesn't play as well. Brees is back to his normal shenanigans. Um, Only five hundred and thirty-seven attempts last season. Yeah. After how many of the previous two years? After six hundred plus pass attempts. Yeah. Nine of the last 10 years. I mean, 537 pass attempts from Drew Brees is not going to happen again. It's going to be over 550. But the question is, will it get to 600? Like, Was last year a blip or a trend? Yeah, I have him at 609. So I think there's going to be, what is it, positive regression? Where are we going? What'd you go with? Positive mean reversion. <laughs> there's no other choice. I had to come up with something, John. I'm not ending up with a lot of Brees, though, because I have Stafford ranked slightly ahead, and he's going two rounds later. So that's where I'm at. I think Breeze is a fine pick. You know, if you're if you're doing weight on quarterback and you're sitting there in the seventh, eighth round, you can add Breeze to your lineup. That's not bad at all. It's not about what quarterback you like. It's about what quarterback to avoid. There's a handful of quarterbacks to avoid, but there's only a couple. One of them is Jared Goff. He'll experience a negative regression this season. And have you seen Jared Goff's headshot on PlayerProfiler.com? I haven't. Let's let's pull it up. See what we got here. See if you can figure it out, because a lot of people, listeners of this show, people I thought would be savvy, can't figure this out. Is that Master Blaster? It's Master Blaster from the Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah. I'm not getting the, is he riding Sean McVay's back there? What's going on? Yes. Sean McVay is the master, and Jared Goff, the fake gunslinger, is the blaster. Gotcha. Pretty good, right? Pretty good. That's pretty good. How long did it take you to come up with that? That was a listener. Oh, okay. 
The funny thing is most of these Easter eggs on the site are listener-inspired. We have the most engaged audience that I'm aware of in fantasy football, patreon.com forward slash podfather. We have listener leagues. If you want to get in a listener league with like-minded fantasy gamers, an incredibly creative group, go to patreon.com forward slash podfather. Now, I have come to Jesus with Rob Gronkowski. I was afraid of the negative swirl all around him, the retirement talk, the trade talk, not reporting to minicamp, but I've calmed my nerves around Rob Gronkowski, and I now believe he should be drafted in the second round because I think he's a lock to be the number one fantasy tight end. Do you agree? Are you talking PPR or standard? In standard, he's an early second rounder, if not a late first rounder. In PPR leagues, I think you need to consider drafting him in the late second round. I have Travis Kelsey and Zach Ertz ahead of him in PPR, but not not far. If you have Zach Ertz ahead of Rob Gronkowski in any format, I'm telling you right now, full disclosure, John, that's a mistake. It's mainly due to Gronk's injury history. Mm. Yeah. That's the other concern. <laughs> I, I didn't even mention that. And the fact that he looked kind of stiff last year at times. Yeah. So I don't think he's a lock for number one tight end uh, numbers, but I have no problem if you're feeling a little saucy in the second round, late first round, take him. Because if he does put in 14 plus games, uh, he's going to he's going to do monster. He's going to do be a monster. Yeah. I mean, absolute monster. So we talked about Eric Ebron's snaps with, with the first unit in preseason beyond the snap share with the first team which is important it's why i'm now more concerned about jordan wilkins than i was a week ago Mm -hmm. beyond the snap share with the particular units what other actionable information do you think could be gleaned from preseason performances you know to answer your question the the most actionable is the snap share uh then you then you can get into targets from the starting quarterback Right. You can get into where the guy's lining up in the offense. This is a Trey Burton comment because he's lining up 47% in the slot. Travis Kelsey with KC last year, 50% in the slot. So that's a Matt Nagy, you know, transferring over there. Gets you excited about Trey Burton, I'm sure. I can't do it, man. Trey Burton is going to be this year's Tyreek Hill, ripping my face off with efficient production, and you'll be just like a winged steed soaring through the sky, and you're on his back just with the wind in your face laughing at me. No, I'll be. Ha- I'll have Jack Doyle just like you. Oh, thank God. We'll be miserable together with Jack Doyle. I'll at least be right about Burton, I guess. Yep, you'll be right about Burton. So you're looking at small sample sizes with this with the snap share stuff, but I think it's definitely usable because you're 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 getting a picture of how the the coaching staff currently views the depth chart. There's nothing more valuable when you're looking at jobs changing hands or you're looking at a training camp battle to see who's going in the game first and who's playing the most with with Andrew Luck or with with Mitch Trubisky or whoever. So I think that's hugely, hugely valuable at this time of year. 100% agree. And that's something I'm paying more attention to as I try to become a better fantasy analyst. If you look back in the last year, you've been doing this for many years, top analyst on fantasy pros year after year. But recently, can you pinpoint a lesson you learned that made you a better analyst? I think it's a couple things. One, one, I, how I deal with weather, uh, I have to be a little bit more uh, in tune with uh, some of the nasty weather going on in December. I think I'm pretty in tune with it already, but the high winds seem to be the major issue. 
very low temperatures can hurt a passing game as well. A little bit of research I still want to do on that front. Uh, the other thing is... So it's wind and temperature more than precipitation. Yes. So if, it, if it's raining, I don't do much with it. If it's downpouring or a blizzard, you have an issue. Uh, but if you get your winds above 20 miles per hour, there's a problem. Uh, if it's under, you know, if you're in the teens or the single digits of, of weather, then the passing game goes down a little bit. So that's that's pretty much the weather front. The other side of it is the plug and play. So you get a, a stud running back goes down. His backup goes in. How high are we ranking him? How sure are we that he's going to get the same sort of workload that the stud got? How good is he? How does the coaching staff view him? Is this going to be more of a committee replacing that stud? I think maybe last year, I can't think of any specific examples, but I do seem to remember, oh, that RB2 didn't perform as an RB1 just because the stud went down. There was a, a committee situation behind behind that RB1, and that maybe got bit, bit me a little bit in my rankings last year. I'll give you the running back that has the potential to be the most impactful free square running back in the event of an injury in 2018. Are you ready? Yes. His name is Rod Smith. If anything happens to Ezekiel Elliott, if Ezekiel Elliott is not playing and you do not have Rod Smith in every single DFS roster, you're doing it wrong. It's funny that you should say that because I did tweet about Rod Smith, James Conner, who I think kind of falls into the same category. That's right. We're talking about prolific offense with a good run-blocking offensive line who will move into a workhorse role in the event of an injury. But then also, it's not just that. It's that they're going so late. Oh, yeah. it's, like, it's, almost, it's almost like the owners of Ezekiel Elliott, Le'Veon Bell, Kareem Hunt, you know, where Rod Smith, James Conner going 16th, 17th round. Either have him as your handcuff with those guys or you're drafting him as an attrition play. In a deeper league. Absolutely. You're not drafting starters in those final rounds anyway. You're drafting upside there. Thank Something you. happens first week, second week. There's always a running back that goes down the first or second week. What if it's Ezekiel Elliott? What oh if it's God. Le'Veon Bell? I own Rod Smith in every dynasty league. Oh, my God, if Ezekiel Elliott goes down. hope you're. Gra- but I also have Ezekiel Elliott in most of my seasonal leagues. So please, Ezekiel Elliott, stay healthy. All the best to Ezekiel Elliott. But if anything happens, if anything happens, oh, we've got it covered with Rod Smith. Everybody, Everybody's going to run to the waiver wire in your league looking to – Spend 40 bucks on Rod Smith, and they're going to be so upset that he's on your roster. I wish that I could plant a gif, just like a laughing, crying gif, that when someone searches the name Rod Smith in my fantasy league, that's what returns. Just my (laughs) face, just laughing at them through tears, because I'm so happy I have Rod Smith. All the best to Ezekiel Elliott. Hope he stays healthy all season. Yes, yes. So Rod Smith would qualify for truther status if we had been rostering Rod Smith for years. You know that I'm a Jeff Janis truther. That's been established. Who are you a truther on? Well, we talked about Chris Godwin and Tyler Lockett. So I think those guys, I don't know if they're truthers or if I qualify as a truther. If you've been a Tyler Lockett truther this whole time, you're sort of flexing your abdominals poised and ready your whole body i know that you have a bad back and bad knees but if if you were healthy your whole body would just be poised in the the launch position i mentioned those guys but i think somebody told me that i was the biggest rex burkhead burkhead fan on twitter which i don't think is true but i want to mention rex burkhead because i love him in the fifth round well did you own rex burkhead when he was a bengal no in dynasty no 
If you owned Rex Burkhead when he was in Cincinnati at any point in Dynasty, then you would qualify for truther status on Rex Burkhead. Well, I don't play Dynasty, so that's a problem. Yeah, trutherism is really a Dynasty thing. But we're going to go with Tyler Lockett. Next time someone asks you this, just say Tyler Lockett. That's a good answer. Because Tyler Lockett's fucking happening, John. Now, I'll get you out here on this. I'm talking about the boldest prediction that you can possibly muster. Now, you're not a bold prediction guy. No, I'm not. You're an accurate forecast guy. You're a precise prediction guy. Why would you do a bold prediction when you can do a precise prediction? I get it. On the front end, I'm telling you, I understand. But I still want you to go a step further. I want you to go to the outer bounds of what John Paulson is capable of predicting and give me the boldest of the bold predictions that you have in your arsenal. I'm going to throw two at you and hopefully they combined. They're okay. Right, right. You're going to go volume bold predictions. Okay. Volume based. Both running backs. Okay. Chris Thompson finishes in the top 10 PPR. Peyton Barber finishes top 20. Yes! That was very bold. Are you kidding me? Peyton Barber in the top 20? No one's saying that. On the Roto Underworld radio program, we love Peyton Barber. On the Roto Underworld Radio program, we love Peyton Barber. That's the show. Hey, a couple, uh, you know, robotic situations. We cleaned them up, reset, you know, spliced this thing together, and we're going to have a show. I get, always get these conversations with tight end. He, he always comes up. I'm like, what has he done, dude? What the hell has he done? You're paying in spec, so... I don't know why I'm so mad about this. I, I'm sure he's a fine guy. Doesn't he look good in player profiler? All I know is he's 230 pounds. That's all I know. That's all I care about. He's too small, dude. They're lining him up in the slot. Yeah, I mean, he's fast. He's a pretty good athlete. I can't do it. I would like him a lot more in the 10th round. I'm a Jack Doyle guy. Jack Doyle is proven that he can do it. This is the theoretical, more athletic Jack Doyle. I like Jack Doyle in the ninth round for the value. Why don't we save this for the podcast? It'll be in the outtakes. Don't worry. You know, if it's good, it's it's going to be in the show. I like Burton, but I'm ending up with more Doyle. Of course you are, because you know what you're doing. And if I'm going to go theoretical, I'm going to go Njoku. Get the hell out of here, Burton. Njoku's interesting. Trey Burton couldn't be David Njoku's valet, much less you know, an equal on the football field. Get out of here. <laughs> Chasing Jordan Reed. Yeah, go ahead. See how that goes. Chase that archetype. Go ahead. Why am I mad? I don't know why I'm mad about this. Because everybody likes Burton. You don't. It's crazy. He hasn't done anything. What are you going to do when he finishes in the top 10? The same thing I did when Tyreek Hill finished in the top 10. Move right along. (laughs) 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 Moving on. (laughs) Congratulations to everyone that had it. Moving on. Fair enough. We have to talk about the Pat remaining Packer receivers after my first appearance on your pod. Just wait until the Callaway suspension. Just wait. See who's going to be in there in three receiver sets. Just you wait. You wait. <laughs> so the Corey Coleman trade had to really 
Oh, amazing. Because I like Corey Coleman, too. I thought he needed more targets, and now he has more targets. So, and target quality is overrated, man. It's not like we loved Kelvin Benjamin. You have to draft him based on target share, but nice that now we can have a player that's actually maybe good. What happened? So 31 teams refused to offer anything more than a conditional seventh rounder two years from now? I mean, it doesn't make sense. Maybe they didn't uh, call too many people. They couldn't have. I mean, this was a classic blunder by, like, a rookie dynasty leaguer. That's who John Dorsey is. It's like his first dynasty league, and he's taking the first offer for a former first-round pick without asking the league, hey, what's this guy worth? Will anyone give me, I don't know, something of substance? I mean, I'm happy for that he's been freed, but I'm kind of a Browns fan now. Now that Janice is on the Browns, I'm a Browns fan. So I just want the, the team to be good, too. You know, it's very conflicting. It's like more opportunity for Janice, a smoother depth chart to climb. But yet the team's making really stupid decisions. So in the long run, you'd rather see the team be more rational. You know what's getting better? Fantasy football decision making. There's a lot less slam dunk picks and drafts nowadays. Yeah, certainly drafting is getting tougher. There's so few mistakes being made that there used to be a lot of mistakes, which would open up easy picks, but then it's not as easy. Even in expert leagues, even the experts are better. Yes, I agree with that. It's crazy. I don't like it because I'm not even good to start with. Now I have more competition. This is awful. I'm like the Kelvin Benjamin of fantasy experts. I guess so, yeah. I agree with that. A lot of volume. You're going to get some catches just because of the targets. That's right. You got it. There's, there's going <laughs> to... The efficiency's always been a question. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Blake Bortles, once upon a time, was a top five quarterback, John. Do you remember? If he slips in your draft past whatever round. Technically, technically, John. Fair enough. Carry on my way, son. There'll be an RB1 before we're done. It's always an adventure being on this podcast. Amir Abdullah is the Dante Moncrief of running backs. Uh, Jamal Williams is a good pass blocker. <laughs> Slim Rob. Well, they don't need to be excited. They could be mildly interested. In a handful of leagues, I have Ingram West, and that's not going as well. <laughs> Damn it! Oh, God. It's always an adventure being on this podcast. Yeah, and if I had to take a Seattle Seahawks running back at his ADP, I'm drafting CJ Procise. Well, you could have done like a sound effect for that as opposed to just using your mouth. You could have put something in that was a little more dramatic. Yeah, so I know that, John, because I'm the podfather. <laughs> this is what I do. Love it. Who else? Could we identify as a value old running back? Well, I've heard people saying that the law is old. We talked a little bit about him. John, your audio is getting all fucked. Fair enough. All you do is watch Hard Knocks all day, John. I, I watch the episode six, seven times in a row sometimes. Except that one game against the Cardinals where he was always in the right spot, 50 yards downfield, and converting contested catches for touchdowns. Except that one time. I'll die, I'll die on that hill. I'll die on the Aaron Rodgers hill. And I'm currently dying on this Jeff Janis hill. <laughs> Slow death. <laughs> John, help me. Jeff Janis. 
Boy, I'd block that out. I'd block that out, man. They got to move Scantling to returner. They can't burn a roster spot on Trevor Davis, John. You know that's not a good idea. I just drafted him in my return league. Act as if he'll be active week one. That's all you need to know, man. Yeah, just don't bloody your hand when we talk about Janice next, okay? Just don't do that. And some of these questions are meant to agitate but also inspire. Mac truthers or whatever you want to call us. Oh, I can tell you what Martavis Bryant's going to do this year. A whole bunch of nothing. Fair enough. Are you listening to John Paulson, Devontae Parker? Every time you set foot on the football field, you have to be playing in game speed. Not the very highest level. Division three is not the very highest level. John, you're a great coach, man. That was great advice. He's a 32-year-old field stretcher. Okay. fantasy football it's always an adventure being on this podcast yeah eric ebron is the Devonte parker of tight ends doyle 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 move doyle up move doyle up move doyle up it's always an adventure being on this podcast i wish that i could plant a gif just like a laughing crying gif that when someone searches the name Rod Smith in my fantasy league, that's what returns. Just my face, just laughing at them through tears because I'm so happy I have Rod Smith. All the best to Ezekiel Elliott. Hope he stays healthy all season. Boy, I'd block that out. I'd block that out, man. You'll be just like a winged steed soaring through the sky and you're on his back just with the wind in your face laughing at me. All the best to Ezekiel Elliott, but if anything happens, if anything happens, we've got it covered with Rod Smith. Boy, I'd block that out. I'd block that out, man. If you have Zach Ertz ahead of Rob Gronkowski in any format, I'm telling you right now, full disclosure, John, that's a mistake. Absolute monster. I don't play Dynasty, so that's a problem. Because Tyler Lockett's fucking happening, John. Boy, I'd block that out. I'd block that out, man. Poised and ready. Your whole body, I know that you have a bad back and bad knees, but if you were healthy, your whole body would just be poised in the launch position. I just drafted him in my return league. This serves as your final notice, last call to join the Roto Underworld Game Analyst Program and chart many of the advanced metrics found on our player pages. Email me, rotounderworld at gmail.com. 
The hope is Nathan Powell joins the analyst team. Matt, hello.